Today on CityCast Denver, I don't know about you, but for me, Denver's housing crisis can sometimes feel like a blur of scary numbers about rising rents and home prices. It's big and it's complicated. But there were a few stories this week that offered a more personal look into the problem. Today is Friday, September 10th, 2021. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city that is one million times cooler than Albuquerque. I don't care what anyone says. I'm here with our host, Bree Davies. Bree, Albuquerque thoughts? Why are we starting Albuquerque beef? What is this? I love Albuquerque. Really? Honestly, if I could live anywhere else, it would probably be Albuquerque. Oh, Paul was just there, so that's why he's like... Oh. Yeah. What? You had a bad time in Albuquerque, it sounds like. Well... For one, they have the pandemic there too, so mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other things that I could have been doing, but it was just like boring and flat and kind of empty, and I didn't have any good food, and it was like, meh. That's literally the opposite experience I ever have when I go there. Producer Alexander McMahon, you jumped in already. Albuquerque thoughts? I've never been. I uh, I don't have a I don't have a stake in this fight. Like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take myself out of it. I don't want to make any Albuquerqueans mad. <laughs> Cowardly choice, but I appreciate that. <laughs> They're pretty chill, to be fair. Newsletter writer Peyton Garcia is joining us as well. Have you ever been to Albuquerque, Peyton? Um, I don't think I've been to Albuquerque, but New Mexico as a whole, I really, really like. So you're on your own, Paul. All right, we're just gonna leave you for the wolves. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna warn our listeners. Paul's got some real sass on him this morning. I do think that Denver could use a rival city. Like, I don't think you have, like, a good, suitable rival. I think that'd be fun. So we need, like, a... Like, New York and Boston, they're always, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're, mm-hmm. you're the worst city. Size. You're... No, you are. Okay. We got to get into the show. Let's get to the, let's get to the stuff we want to talk about. Um, we're having a casual chat. We're looking back on the news of the week. And we wanted to take a look at a topic that is always top of mind here in Denver, but sometimes little difficult to talk about. The housing crisis. Home prices are falling slowly. Last couple months they've been down, but the market's still pretty tight. Rents are soaring across the metro area. And we talked about the federal evictions moratorium ending um, earlier this week with uh, Ren from newer Denver. And uh, our unhoused population keeps growing. But I mean, that's just like a snapshot of the trends. And I think what we saw this week was a few really like oddball stories on the fringe of this housing crisis that maybe say even more about where we're at. So scenes from a housing crisis, act one, Stackhouse. Let's start with Stackhouse. This is a new development coming to West Colfax from an Arizona-based company And it's difficult to describe what they're doing, but the news this week was that they're building this tower where people can buy homes that are made out of shipping containers. And the shipping containers can be like slotted into the tower and then moved out of the tower if they want to move. Like, I think the idea is that this company wants to set up these towers in different cities all over the world and then... People will be able to move their shipping containers. Bree, you're rolling your eyes already. Let's let's go to you. What do you what do you think about uh, this? 
Well, first of all, I want to know if they're accessible. I can't tell from the article or the renderings if these eight-story buildings have elevators. Um, if they do, I'll feel a little bit more inclined to be supportive of them. I'm supportive of uh, affordable housing options, and I understand that the bigger picture of our housing crisis is having as many options as possible uh, affordability-wise. My frustration with this is there's this really stark juxtaposition between the innovation of this shipping container idea and then how we talk about people who live in mobile home parks. Um, to me, it's it's a real class-defining thing. Um, it, and the, the, we're going to get to the mobile home park issue later in the show, which is an, a nightmare in itself. But I just think about how mobile home parks have been talked about since, you know, They've come around in the last 50, I don't know, 75 years. Um, and then this idea comes along and it's like, wow, this is innovative, da-da-da-da-da. But in reality, to me, it's it's kind of just a new take on the mobile home park. And it just feels like a redressing in a way that is a little bit disingenuous. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'll say, Brie, in terms of the accessibility component, I mean, all I saw was that there's like a, a centerpiece that looks like an elevator, but it's big enough so that they can put the uh, the shipping containers up into the tower, like they it's an elevator for the shipping containers, so that when people move in and out, they can just put their shipping container on the elevator and it goes down. So I I don't know if that's also an elevator for for people, but um, well, I did see presumably that. Presumably, the people could be inside the shipping container when it's going up the <laughs> elevator. Yeah, and it's moving. I was going to say that, the but it doesn't it doesn't change because they do. They actually say that they say um, hypothetically, you could live in your shipping container while we're moving you to a new building. But it oh doesn't God. change the fact that if when you need to leave to go to the grocery store, <laughs> right? If you're a person that uses a wheelchair, right. like mm. you know, how do you access these things? And also, elevator shafts are expensive um, mm -hmm. to build. Elevators are expensive to build and maintain. Um, so I just wondered. I just can't tell from this situation. Um, the other thing, too, is just to me is this is just – it, it's masking a bigger problem, which is we have this unrealistic, unreasonable real estate market. And this is our solution. Live in a shipping container. Live in a box. Well, I'm offended. I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if we can say that this is Denver's solution. I mean this is an Arizona company with a big ambitious goal. And I also think it's important to say like – at least the company says that they've had a lot of interest in these homes. Like they have a waiting list over 2000 names long of people waiting to buy these shipping container homes and live in this building. So like, I feel like this is a, this is like a, the density question. Like maybe we don't like the aesthetics here. There's questions about accessibility, but this is new housing that is going to help address the limited housing supply. I feel like this is all, stuff we like. This is something we should cheer for. But is this really affordable though, Paul? Because I'm looking at the numbers, like it, yes, the shipping container itself is pretty affordable. It's like 110 to $120,000 to buy a shipping container. But then you have to buy a spot in one of these towers. Like you can't just put your shipping container wherever you want to put it. Like it goes in one of these towers and the spot in the tower is like double what costs to buy the shipping container. So all in, it's like like on the high end, you're looking at $480,000, which you could buy a house in the suburbs for that much, probably a decent sized home. So I'll I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll be pro stack house on this. So a couple of things. Um, 
They did, They. I will note that they did say their interest list ranges from millennials to Gen Z or Gen Xers and baby boomers that want to downsize. Um, so they said there's a wide variety of interests, not just millennials trying to be cool. I'll also <laughs> say as somebody who just, you know, was in the, you know, the dogfight that is the housing market, 480 is not going to get you much out there. Mm, okay. It's really, really, okay. really not going to get you very much out there. Um, and I, the mo- I, I, my initial reaction was similar to Breeze, where I was like, what the heck is this? But the more and more I read about it, I actually started to really come around to the idea. I think it's actually kind of unique. And it's, they're like mobile homes, just way more mobile. And I'll push back a little bit here, Peyton, because you can get a you can get a one bedroom condo, which these things are um, in Denver proper for under three hundred. Because um, mm-hmm. I wa- I watch Zillow like it's an app that you play. <laughs> yeah, like I play. I check it every day. Um, so I, I have to say I'm with Alexandra and that I don't think it's accessible on the affordability front as much as it's presenting Mm. itself and that might be part of the problem to me I also just wonder how many folks on this waiting list would live in a trailer I'm sorry would live in a mobile home park so I and I that's actually my one big thing with this um is what you brought up Brie because I didn't think about it until you mentioned it when we were talking about this earlier this week that the stigma between a mobile house park and this like this is cool and awesome and if you live in a mobile house park you're, you know, you're trailer trash and you do drugs and, and all the other stuff that people say about, you know, live totally you know, that community. So that is, you know, my big thing. Cause it's like, isn't this just a mobile house park except stacked? Mm-hmm. Well, and in, uh, one of the stories written about this, I can't remember if it was, um, I can't remember which news outlet it was, but they interviewed one lady who said that the restrictions for um, mobile homes were greater. Like it's harder to find a place. Like that's that's one of the benefits of Stackhouse is like, oh, like they, you know, the zoning re- restrictions, like they're all up to zoning codes around the country. And like, you know, there's just like more options where you can put your shipping container than where you can put your mobile home, which I thought was interesting. But um, I still don't understand how that's, when you have to wait for a tower to be built, though, in the city that you want to move to, like, I don't like, is there is this the first tower that's being built anywhere? I know it's an Arizona company. Does Arizona have a Stackhouse Tower already? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think don't they're think starting so. Here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that does seem to be the big issue. Like they're they're really putting a lot of stock into this, like scalability of their network. Um, and the promise of that is like a huge part of their brand. And uh I don't know. I mean, and what if they don't end up building them anywhere else? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. like, if you're paying four hundred eighty thousand dollars to get a spot in the Denver Stackhouse, and you're hoping that this is like a more affordable housing solution, are you also the kind of person that is going to be paying to move your shipping container home mm-hmm. to Tokyo to live for a year? Like, that seems like a really different. Mm. I mean, is Stackhouse also going to have a deal with like? cargo ships right that's a really like, good point how do you get it there what i don't know but yeah. it's a huge ambitious idea and maybe that's the future 
And I will give them credit. They've done their zoning homework. Yeah. Um, they zoned these for San Francisco zoning, which apparently is really difficult. So it is easily amendable depending on the city that they're in. And if we know anything about housing, zoning is one of the things that keeps us from getting housing built. So um, props to them for, for doing that homework and understanding that part of the process. And it, it is ambitious. I mean, they're hoping to be you know, in like all 50 states by 2025. And then after that, world domination. <laughs> they want to be, they want to be international. And they made a point of saying that San Francisco has 14 sister cities that are international. So as long as they're up to San Francisco zoning codes, like they're already zone ready for a 14 international places. So they are, see. they're hitting oh. the ground running. The last thing I wanted to bring up was the company that's building these shipping containers is Denver-based Rock Rocksbox. Oh yeah. Have you looked at their website? It's it's insane because they're just like really passionate about putting people in boxes. They're like, we can make <laughs> office spaces out of shipping containers. We can make kitchens. We can make whatever you want out of shipping containers. And um, like I like literally laughed out loud when they used the phrase um, that they utilize outside the box thinking. Oh. I was like, come on. What a bad pod. You're like, but you're um, inside the box, isn't that? The but point? yeah, but don't you want to be in the box? I don't know. Anyways, it's just shout out to Denver-based Rocks Box. Let's move on to scenes from a housing crisis. Act two, Mobile Home University. This story comes courtesy of the Denver Post. Reporter Sam Tabachnik. Tabachnik. Sam, I couldn't find a pronouncer for your name online. I'm sorry about that. We'd love to have you on the show sometime, but really love your stuff. He had a profile this week of, I don't even, I guess it's these two guys, Frank Rolfe and David Reynolds, who own um, a company called RV Horizons Impact Communities, which owns mobile home parks across the country, more than 100, including 18 here in Colorado. Uh, but the focus of Sam's piece was this training course that these two guys have run called Mobile Home University. And it's based here in Colorado. Um, I wasn't able to figure out where. They have a P.O. box in Cedar Ridge. But it's kind of mysterious what, where they actually do this work. Um, but Mobile Home University purports to teach people how to do the work they do. Which, according to Sam, is treat people terribly. Like, they own these parks and they just raise rents. They don't take care of the properties. Sounds like a horrible living situation. When we all saw the story earlier this week, everybody had a strong reaction to it. Bree, what did you think? I mean, what what can we learn from this story about the housing crisis? Well, to me, it speaks to the fact that the way we do real estate, like who determines where people can live affordably is, it's unbelievable. This should be like, this is like a, a scream. This is like a signal. Like we can't keep doing this. We can't keep allowing people to decide who gets to be housed and who doesn't. Housing is a human right. I mean, this story was just despicable. So these guys run this, not only do they run these mobile home parks basically into the ground, rent gouging already low income folks, lording over their uninhabitable housing. They run a university to teach other people how to do it. Something is really, really wrong with housing in this country if this is not only something that folks can do legally, but that they um, are publicizing, teaching other people how to do. And there was a, another quote, this <laughs> this Frank Rolf, Rolf guy is so quotable. Um, there was a quote from him from a New Yorker piece where he 
said that he assumed everyone who lived in a mobile home park was, quote, a drug addict, a hooker, and just the scum of the earth. So people who use drugs and sex workers are terrible people, I guess, according to this guy. And therefore, he gets to decide um, where they live or if they can live affordably and comfortably. And if you read this story um, in the Denver Post, it gives you some really searing pictures of the people impacted by these guys. Um, people living on disability, a woman living on less than $800 a month. Can any of you fathom on this in this conversation, can you fathom living on $800 a month? No. I mean, how in 2021? So I just think that if we're not examining the fact that this, that the way that we're doing housing in this country right now is not working, this is the most prominent example I've ever seen. It's so blatant. It's abusive and it's wrong. Well, and there are like countless complaints filed against these guys and I think pending lawsuits and things like that. I don't, and they've been operating for a long time. Like the New York Times did a profile of Mobile Home University in 2014. And this has still been going. And the New York Times profile was weird. It seemed like kind of oddly positive. Like, oh yeah, these guys just are cold, hard businessmen, but they're trying to fix the affordable housing crisis. I'm like, I don't think that's the takeaway here. And we're not, here's the thing, we're not, like, speculating. Like, these guys, they know what they're doing, they're proud of what they're doing, and they're telling other people to do it. They're like, here, he actually even quoted um, on the website, again, he's talking about how they, the first thing they do is they raise the rent. He's like, raise the rent really aggressively, and then cut all amenities. And then he actually calls that a quote-unquote attack plan. They're not hiding what they're doing. And then there's people in the world who want to learn from them. I don't know. What did you think, Paul? I mean, this whole situation is really depressing because it, it's people who live at the margins of society. Uh, and this is where they can afford to live. Um, I think for me, where I saw the silver lining here was in the... Um, in the politics around this issue, like Xander, you said, like this has been a well-known issue for a long time. These guys are not, it's not exactly a secret what they're doing or what they think. And our local elected officials have in the last few years, especially passed quite a bit of legislation to try to regulate these mobile home parks um, more. Like, like here's a, here's a law that was passed um, by the Colorado state assembly last year, signed by Jared Polis that allows uh, homeowners in a mobile home park, the opportunity to make an offer to buy the park if the landlord anticipates selling it or changing the use of the land. So it's mm -hmm. not, it's, it doesn't like privilege the, the people who live in the park, their offer on any other offer, but it re requires that they have an opportunity to make a counter offer when a mobile home park intends to sell or has signaled that they want to sell to somebody say like Frank Rolfe and his, his associates. RV Horizons Impact. That's communities. Don't forget, they love to use the word communities. Oh, sorry. Yeah. How could I get their name wrong? <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to Scenes from a Housing Crisis, Act 3? Now, this is a story that I don't think a lot of people, when they saw it earlier this week, even interpret it as a housing story. Um, but Bree, this was your response when we first heard about this on Tuesday, that the city of Denver was closing Civic Center Park for two months. They're putting up barricades. They're just shutting it down. No more people get to use Civic Center Park for two months. So Bree, why is that a housing story? 
Well, if you've um, walked by or rode your bike by or driven by Civic Center Park um, any time in the last few years, then I think that you would know that a lot of our unhoused neighbors um, spend time there. And it, it to me, it's such a visible example of the housing crisis. Um, folks are in public spaces where they, they, they can exist during the day, especially because, you know, I don't know if you realize how much we spend time in our homes when you have a home. Um, we all work from home. So if you don't have a home, you may be out in a very visible public space. And Civic Center Park um, has been that for a lot of our unhoused neighbors. So there was this quote from Scott Gilmore, the deputy executive director of Parks and Rec here. He told CB CBS4 regarding Civic Center Park and why they closed it. It's not safe to walk through the park. We need to take back the park. And that quote was really telling to me because uh, take it back from who? Um, it's really a decision who gets to be in this public space. And I just – it's very frustrating to me that the the continual – the city's continual response to our housing crisis is to – again, this is just moving people along. This is exactly what they do with sweeps. It's the same thing. It's just closing off the park and saying that it's for sanitary reasons, all these reasons that actually could be solved by things that have been proven. Um, public restrooms, people are asking for public restrooms. We want to be a, quote, world-class city. Get us some public restrooms because that was one of the issues with the park. It's unsanitary. Um, they found – one of the dog whistles for this story always is we found needles in the park. Well, you know what? If you go on down to 8th and Lincoln, the Harm Reduction Action Center has um, proposed solutions for this, which is a safe overdose prevention site where folks can go and inject drugs safely, not in the public space, dispose of those needles, and not die. So there's a lot of options that are available that the city is just not doing, and instead they are closing off the park to the public and filling it with surveillance cameras. Pushing people out. Well, also, like, you know, um, this was something that came up in the CBS4 story was like the reporter was like, oh, the trash requires a hazmat team to deal with. Like, just like really, which, you know, I have problems with how this was covered um, on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, because I just think that journalism should really avoid being a mouthpiece for the city. And a lot of times uh, we see stories that do that. Um, and yeah, but it's like there could be trash services that pick up once a week. I don't think that would cost the city that many resources if they did these like simple things. And then, yeah, there wouldn't be trash all over the park that requires a quote unquote hazmat team to deal with. Uh, and it was interesting. It was very telling that Scott Gilmore was very careful to not use words like homeless or unhoused or camping. Like it was just very like, oh, the park's just unsafe. We're not going to give specifics, but we all know what Scott Gilmore is talking about. Like when he says, take it back. That's mm. take it back from the community yeah, that's using it. That was a yeah, not a wise choice of words for him to use if he was trying to cover tracks of any kind. Clearly a poor choice of words, but I think what um something we haven't brought up yet that we need to is that this has been a place where there have been a lot of reports of violence. Like I've you know we've all seen the DPD data this is a place where two people have been murdered in the last year. There's been a lot of reports of physical assault. Now, again, I, I, I don't know exactly how what I think about that or how it plays into this conversation, but that's a factor here. And I think that's what he was referring to. But um, what I kind of wanted to talk about with this is like, 
Civic Center Park in general, it feels like the city doesn't know what to do with it. Like they recognize that there's an issue that they don't like drug use, violence, unsanitary conditions, whatever. Uh, but they don't have any like other thing that they would like to be happening there. I don't know. Peyton, you've been writing about activities in Civic Center Park all summer during the pandemic. You know, what do you think, what, what do you see? Like, what do you see in the tea leaves of the Hancock administration's uh, regulations in the park? I mean... I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. They want to do something with it, but they have no idea what to do. And, and for a long time, they keep talking about um, this big like overhaul and how, you know, reimagining Civic Center Park. And they've tried to like do all of this community engagement to get an idea of what, you know, Denverites want to see become of Civic Center Park. And they want to make it something different. I don't think that they have any idea what they want that to be, though. And and in terms of the violence, Paul, like you brought up, I mean, yes, it does seem like there have been more violent incidents at the park in the last couple of years, but that's true across the city. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, it's just getting worse. And I mean, you know, there could be countless reasons for that. A lot of people blame the pandemic, unemployment, you know, all these things contributing factors but it's just like it doesn't change the fact that like civic center park is not special in terms of like oh yeah there's been a like all the violence is centered in this one park and it's because all these people are living there and they shouldn't be well it was listed as a as a quote-unquote crime hotspot wasn't it right yeah which i know is like a whole a whole nother can of worms but it 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 was listed wasn't it Mm -hmm. with like all the other crime hotspots around the city right Mm -hmm. they were not i mean Unless there is data that shows it's like the worst crime hotspot out of all the hotspots, which I haven't seen that. I don't know. I'm just like, uh, I just have a lot of skepticism. Well, you all have heard me talk about this before, but uh, the real answer of what to do with Civic Center Park is right there. Build <laughs> no, the damn coaster. I don't know where this is going. Build the coaster. People's coaster. How did we not Fill see this coming? Fill that park up with a roller coaster. How did we not see Paul That's gently like the most steering? Denver solution to a problem, too, Paul. Cover it up with a roller coaster. We have a, a real crisis coaster. on our hands. Let's build something ridiculous that costs a lot of money and doesn't actually solve any of the issues just, at hand. Distract, distract, distract. <laughs> Shiny bobble problem. Um, really, really fun bobble. Um, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to uh, staff picks. So we're going to go around, give you all a little bit of, a little bit of inspiration for the weekend. Who wants to start? Xander, do you want to start? You got a you got a recommendation? Sure. Um, okay. Mine is to go see a movie at the new AMC Theater. Uh, I don't know how new it is, but it's newer off Colorado and 8th Avenue um, because it's so nice. Have any of you been over there? That theater is like gorgeous. I went there last weekend um, and it was just, uh, just, oh, I loved it. It was like definitely my best movie going experience in in the city so far that I've found. But, um, I mean, the area though seems to be getting a lot of attention from, uh, developers and, uh, people who want to, I don't know, give it a facelift. Cause like, there's just a lot of new stuff going in there. It seems very millennial. So, you know, I'm just putting that out there if you're not into that kind of area that's what it's like um there's a trader joe's right next to the theater and things like that but um but it's really nice if you're and like the seats they're like 
there are like butt warmers in the seats and they they recline in like three different ways like it it leans you back and then it also leans you down it's like so you're like sit like sinking into a cloud it's it's very nice Peyton what do you think um yeah go to Tamaki Den it is at the source in Rhino um and it is from the brothers who are behind Sushi Den Izakaya Den and Ototo Den and it's a uh, more casual approach to their incredible sushi that they do down on um, Pearl Street. Very cool. Very cool. Bree, how about you? You got a recommendation for our listeners' weekends? I do. So um, a couple of years ago, my friends who run this nonprofit called Birdseed Collective uh, made a deal with the city and took over the rec center in Globeville. And uh, my friend Anthony Garcia and a crew of artists and people from the community run this rec center. Um, and it was closed during the pandemic or like through the pandemic and they're reopening and they've, and I've been watching them over social media. Um, they're adding new murals. It's just a gorgeous place on the inside too, but it's this cool spot where kids can come. Adults can come. It's just like a gathering place. They do all sorts of, um, classes, art classes. It's a place for after school stuff. They do, um, a food access program too. You can get free groceries on Mondays, but they're doing like a big reopening celebration this weekend on Saturday. Um, and they're going to have food and music vendors, a photo booth, lots of art. Um, and it's at 4496 Grant street is the Globeville rec center. So if you haven't been down there, um, I would wander down there, check it out, find out more about what birdseed collective does, admire some really beautiful murals inside of the building and, um, get to know the community. All right. Thank you. Uh, and for me, I did not know this was happening, but because uh, I'm not a watcher of America's Got Talent, but Denver's <laughs> own comedian Josh Blue advanced to the finals of America's Got Talent this week. What? That's right. I didn't know that either. And for because right. I also don't watch America's Got Talent. <laughs> well, and for anyone who's not familiar with Josh Blue, uh, he's a very funny comedian who happens to have cerebral palsy and has a lot of very funny observations about the stigma about disabled people in our society. Uh, but he's also, I guess, the master of reality television because 15 years ago he won the fourth season of Comedy Central's Last Comic Standing. I remember watching that. Thinking he Whoa, was awesome. Was that long ago? Long before I even moved to Denver. Yeah, that long ago. So that's my recommendation. Check out Josh Blue's comedy. That guy is can so just, funny. Can I just say that um, I saw that when I saw that he was moving on to the what semifinals of America's Got Talent. I was really surprised because I was like, what's Josh Blue doing on America's Got Talent? Like, doesn't everybody already know him? Like, I, I just assumed I'm like, they can't. they can't let national superstars on America's Got Talent. That's not fair. But then I was like... Maybe that's just because I grew up in Denver, and I've I've always known Josh Blue. He performed at my school when I was in like third grade. Oh, um, cool! That's, that's so awesome. cool. So like, it surprised me that he was on there. I was like, he can't be on there. Everybody knows him already, but apparently people don't. So check him out. That's all for CityCast Denver this week. Um, we've got a bonus episode coming into your feeds tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. Also, here's some news. We now have a voicemail box. So if you've got any questions or comments about the show, leave us a message at 720-500-5418. And uh, we might play them on the show. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Alexander McMahon, and Natalie Rivera. Peyton Garcia writes our newsletter. And Bree Davies is our host. 
Our music is by Los Mochachetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show. Rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Write us a nice review. We read them and they make us smile. Follow us on Twitter at CityCastDenver. See y'all on Monday. Bye. 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 Ma'am, this is not a dairy farm. <laughs> this, is a, this is a cornfield. <laughs>